How human is your brand? Does it have a personality, an opinion, a voice, maybe even a raspy voice like I have right now as I struggle my way through a cold? (laughs) No, but really, does your audience have a reason to trust your brand, to rely on it for valuable, relevant information? Do your buyers feel like your brand is really speaking to them, that it knows them? Your content tells the story of your brand and shows like this one that you're listening to right now, in particular, have the power to build real relationships with your audience. But how? I'm Lindsay Chepkema, CEO and co-founder of Casted, the first and only marketing platform built around brand podcasts. And this is our podcast. Mike Volpe, as you will hear, is someone I have personally followed for many years as I navigated my way from first-time marketing director to now as marketing leader turned CEO. He was one of the first marketers at HubSpot. Then he became their CMO. Then he became the CMO of Cyber Reason, and now he's the CEO at Lola.com. He knows a thing or two about growing a compelling magnetic brand. And one thing that has been a common thread over the years since his earliest days at HubSpot, it's serving his audience with innovative, relevant shows they'll love. Why? Well, you'll hear Mike explain, but it all comes back to humanizing your brand and building relationships that last and that also lead to conversions. And how do you do it? Well, Mike and I get into that too. I'm Mike Volpe, the CEO of Lola.com. So Mike, I am excited to have you here. I've told you in the past that I've actually been a big fan for a while. I actually go back to, I think like 2011, watching a weekly video show that you were doing at HubSpot with Karen Rubin. And um, I think that that's that's a great place to start this conversation because reaching your audience in myriad different ways has been a thing for you for not, it's not new. It's something you've been doing for almost a decade, if not longer. Um, but I found you almost a decade ago. So tell me how that, I guess let's start with video first and just kind of looking at different ways to reach your audience. How and why for you, what'd that look like? Yeah, that was the first, let's call it podcast. Cause I sort of feel like the lines between video and audio are kind of blurred to a certain degree, but the, the first one that I was really part of, uh, and it came from a couple different places. Um, the first thing was that you know, HubSpot, which at the time was a small company no one had heard of. It's a, it's a little different now for a lot of marketers. Many salespeople have heard of it now. Uh, but at the time, we were trying to build a name for ourselves and build a market and sort of create a movement. And we had done a lot of blogging. We had a really successful free tool called Website Grader. But we hadn't done much uh, in either audio or video aside from some webinars. And around that time was when live streaming a video was sort of just getting going. It wasn't like today where you have a YouTube app and you hit a button or Instagram and you hit a button and they're like live streaming. That was not how stuff worked. (laughs) But it was like, sort of, there were a couple like dedicated platforms like Quick and like Blip TV. And I'm trying to remember like what they were, but like people were figuring it out. But I remember we had to buy this like special server. And like there was like, it was like hard work to figure this out. But it was like at the point, it was like you actually could do it. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, you could actually have a live video show. So not recording a video and putting it up, but like a live show that people watch synchronously. 
And I think that the rise of Twitter was a key thing that fed into it because we used Twitter as a key discussion point during the show. So many people would watch the video stream live and comment on it and talk about it. And we would ask questions, we'd get questions from the audience and sort of go back and forth. And so I think that the rise of this sort of real time kind of discussion, social media platforms like Twitter fed into sort of like everything was happening. So in any event, it was, it was kind of just one of those things where we just like wanted to try it. There's a woman at the time who was newer at HubSpot named Karen Rubin. And she sort of thought this was an interesting idea at the same time that in marketing, my team and I were trying to figure out what to do more with video and how to be more interactive. You know, it's sort of like, you know, chocolate meets peanut butter kind of coming together when (laughs) Karen grabbed me. And I was like, great, like we should do a show. And, you know, in classic way, it was like, it was like, so you go figure all this out and let me know. And who else do you think should be on the show? And she was like, well, I I thought it should be me. And I was like, great. Like, why don't we do the show together? And, um, and we just kind of started. And the first couple episodes uh, were frankly terrible and super embarrassing. But by doing it, we got better and better over time. And I, and by watching ourselves, like watching the recording of it, you're like, ooh, like you cringe a few times and like you get better. And the next time you sort of, you ask questions in a better way, you just yeah. you become more engaging and things like that. And we iterated with over time. And I, I think we did something like 200 episodes. That's crazy. So it was, it was years that we did it for. And something that grew, not a giant following, but I would say a really, really loyal following. Yeah. And I would, we, Karen and I would go to marketing conferences and stuff. Uh, people would stop us and say like, hey, like, you're Mike Volpe. I watched that show. Or, Hey, you're Karen. Like I watched that show. And so you knew it was having an effect. It was hard to measure in those days. Uh, but you knew you were having an effect and it definitely had a, a small, but very passionate audience. Myself included. Like I was a first time marketing director and I was, I mean, I learned a lot, you know, I mean, there, you knew your audience very well and there might not have been millions of me, but there was me and I, I went up, you converted me. I went on to convince the president of my company to buy HubSpot. So and it's funny because the show wasn't about the product, right? No, um, not at all. About marketing. And like it, it, the effect that we were trying to have with, again, the whole inbound marketing movement forced us to become the world's best case study in inbound marketing. And that meant by doing inbound marketing, not just through blogging, but in other okay. ways. And that show was, you know, while you can argue with the quality of it and all sorts of things <laughs> of it, it was, it was pioneering in its time for doing something live, for being such like a micro topic kind of show, Mm -hmm. uh, like very, very focused within marketing and like a certain community even within marketing. And we would also get, we also knew that, so a lot of people like you would watch it. And we also know that like marketing teams would watch it together. Marketing agencies would watch it together. We know because it was four o'clock East Coast. We know some West Coast companies would do um, like lunch and they like, uh, but then like the marketing team would sit there and like watch the show and then like talk about a couple of the things we talked about, like, Oh, maybe we should work on this part of our blog or like whatever. And so it was one of those things where it never, it never like the actual numbers that you could measure were never these giant, giant numbers, but it had, there were so many stories like yours of, Oh, I learned so much in that show that made me trust you and Karen and maybe trust mm-hmm. the company, maybe follow the company and then you kind of keep pulling that thread and all of a sudden you're like convincing the CEO that you want to buy this product, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of that activity that happened uh, qualitatively. Quantitatively, it was always really hard to measure, 
but quantitatively, there was a ton of that that happened. For sure. And here we are almost 10 years later talking about it, right? Still. It's one of those things where it makes a brand impression on people in a way that blog articles don't, audio mm -hmm. and video. You read a blog article and you're sort of vaguely aware of who wrote it, maybe. And so maybe you know the brand that it's from or what you know site it was on or things like that. But you don't connect with the author in the way that with, you know, podcasting or video or webinars that you really connect with the presenter in a new way. And I think that that more personal connection was a key aspect of how we as a company connected with lots of marketers. Like some of it was these great blog articles and free tools and some of it was the product and all these in the book that we had, like all these different things that we did as a company. But I think HubSpot TV was an important sort of piece of that whole puzzle because that personal connection that a lot of people felt with Karen and I, and frankly, that Karen and I felt with a lot of people, mm -hmm. it was a two-way thing because we'd have, you know, people that watched the show a lot and would tweet in questions every week. We would have people that had watched every episode, but maybe after 20 would then, you know, write in a question or something. You know, people would give us topics, they would email us and give us topics they wanted us to talk about, things like that. It was definitely this, there was a community around it, which was really cool. And a lot of it had to do with more of a, a personal connection than sort of just like a, a brand and kind of dry written content connection. Podcast. So you launched, it was it your first podcast? I mean, it'd be pretty hard to do one before that because it was 2015 when you launched the growth show. Tell me how that got onto your radar because podcasting was, people were like, what's a podcast? Do I play it on my iPod? Do I have to download it? Like it, that was still the days of people not knowing what a podcast was. So how did, how did that get onto your radar? Yeah, it's interesting because it's like podcasting really, there were a couple, like a couple big waves of it, right? There was an early, early, early wave around like the original iPod, you know, not iPhone, iPod, right? Mm -hmm that was audio based. You had to like download these MP3 files. It was more of like a geeky thing, very popular, but like more, it like took more wherewithal to figure it out because mm -hmm. you had to download them on your computer and then you had to sync them over to your device with like a USB cable. But then in 2015, what we started to see was a combination of being able to wirelessly sync and wirelessly get new episodes was a big deal combined with Serial and some of the other sort of like mainstream, and I'll put mainstream in quotes, mainstream kind of shows made podcasts sort of become even bigger. And we had grown at that point as a brand that we were relatively well known within the market. Uh, and what we wanted to do was have more of a connection with the CEO. So it's interesting that you say your early exposure to HubSpot was marketer to marketer. Mm -hmm. It was Karen and Mike talking to Lindsay about marketing stuff and that inspired you to go to your CEO. And I can play that conversation forward. The CEO is like, I've never heard of HubSpot before. What are you mm -hmm. talking about? You were well-educated on it and made a convincing sales pitch as to why you should buy it. Where we started to get to in 2015 was, well, we now had some products to sell the sales teams. And so we're selling into marketing, really well-known in marketing, starting to get well-known in sales. But as you're becoming a platform for the whole company, we wanted executive level exposure. We wanted CMO, CRO, CEO, COO, C-level to have heard of and know what HubSpot is, at least some high level and have a positive brand affiliation with it. And so what we decided to do was say, okay, those folks 
have less time to read blogs. They're not going to go to webinars. You know, content specifically about marketing is not that interesting to them. What's interesting to them? Growth. And who do they want to hear from? They want to hear from their peers. So the growth show was a show about growth. And it was all the interviews were only with C-level executives, mm -hmm. SVP, you know, et cetera. But it was like very senior people. And we had some amazing guests in the first 10 or 20. We had the the founder of like Tough Mudder, like one of those race, you know, things, which yep. is just story about how they built the brand and things like that. We had the CMO from Slack on. We had, you know, count like a bunch of like CEO, CMO, CRO type of folks from really interesting companies and brands and just had them tell their story. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, me interviewing them in most cases. We had a couple other people that did some hosting as well. And that was something that, again, it was about what's the right format of content and type of content to reach that C-level person. And it was really the first thing we had done at HubSpot that was meant to reach the C-level. And that's something where that five years later, that show is still around. I think it's mm -hmm. on its fourth producer now. And, and I think it's like, it's, it's done really well because it was different and it was unique. Absolutely. So that's, all right. So then fast forward and you, that was not, that's not your only student podcasting. So you've done more since then. So tell me why, why it has, has, continued to be a, a piece of your marketing puzzle and even now as CEO. It's a great way to reach people. And I think, again, it's like, it can be used, podcasting can be used in a lot of different ways. So you can use it to add more personality to the brand. You can use it to sort of get a deeper connection with a smaller audience. That was kind of like the HubSpot TV kind of podcast model. You can use it to reach folks that are harder to reach through other means, but people that typically have a commute or things like that, you can be trying to reach folks in a different way. Um, and it also can be a great way to add other voices to the brand. So at Cyber Reason, what we did was we looked around and said, you know what? No one's really told uh, from a slightly more technical perspective, the stories of all these major hacks that have happened. And so we found someone who was a computer programmer by trade and had written a book about the first couple of viruses that had existed and where they came from and things like that. And so we created a podcast that went through, it started with almost like the history of computer viruses, where the first couple ones came from, where the name virus came from, and sort of fast forwarded to like a lot of the more modern attacks. And it was very much a storytelling style. It was not a yeah. talking head, you know, two people interviewing each other kind of a thing. It was a, we're going to talk about, there was an episode about like the Stuxnet uh, attack on the Iranian uh, centrifuges that did uranium refinement and this sort of joint U.S.-Israeli uh, cyber assault on those, those facilities. And there's just so much to that story. And so there'd be, you know, six or eight different voices at different times during the episode. Some of it was narration, some of it was like a short clip from an interview, all sorts of things that went into that. So it was like a high production value. And that was really meant to be something that security people from entry-level analysts all the way up to chief security officer, chief you know, CIO would be interested in listening to. And so that podcast worked really well. But again, it's like it had some different goals than the other ones. And then at Lola, we've tried to do a good job of connecting with finance professionals because that's who we sell to. So we do travel, like expense management, like related things. And our key buyer is someone in the finance team. And so 
we needed to figure out a way, like how do we get in front of those folks? How do we gain legitimacy with that audience? Because we're a brand new brand, we're an early stage company. And one of the things that I did was I started a podcast called the Agile Operations Podcast. Sort of, I'd say it's, it's similar in theme to like the growth show, which is that we wanted to connect with CFOs and CEOs on the topic of making their companies internally operate more in a more agile way, faster and easier so that they can enable more growth and more innovation and getting sort of all the internal obstacles out of the way. And so we found some cool, interesting folks that had from a finance perspective or an operations perspective, done things a little differently within their companies. Um, and so that's what we've been doing there too. So it's, I think it's, I don't think there's one format or formula for what a successful podcast should be or needs to be. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's like, it's an interesting technology, but you can use it in a lot of different ways if you think about it and get creative with it. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I think it's, it's really telling that you have found a way to do, to incorporate storytelling with when you're appealing to finance leaders, right? So, cause so often you hear excuses of like, well, we're, you know, we talk to finance and you can't, it's not really hip and exciting. It's one thing to be talking to marketers, but it's another thing to be talking to finance leaders. I mean, there's, how can you possibly tell a story when you're talking about spreadsheets, but you found a way and you're, you're finding a very interesting way to, to speak to that audience and to give them something really interesting to get excited about. The thing that people do for their job is rarely boring to themselves. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you just have to find someone who's passionate about it or ignite that passion within yourself and that curiosity within yourself to really dig in and just ask people a lot of questions about it. So I really think again, and especially if your audience is other people like that person, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know that a show about finance is going to be that interesting to a marketing person or a chef or whoever, or a doctor, but to finance people, it's going to be super interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to know like what their peers are up to and what things that other people like them at another company are doing that are better or different than what they're doing and why and where that stuff came from. And so people love that stuff. So never, never assume that something is boring because to the right person, everything is interesting. So one thing that you and I have in common is that we have both gone from marketers to marketing leaders to CEO role. And I'm interested to hear, I mean, yours has been on a much grander scale, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, you mentioned a little while ago about podcasts and shows in general being difficult to measure, difficult to always get your hands around and to understand the direct impact. There is, it's going to be very rare and it should not be the purpose of your show to like be a direct sales tool. First of all, has your perspective changed on how, how you should measure shows as you've gone from marketer to marketing leader to CEO? And if so, how, and kind of where, where do you stand on kind of how you should be looking at it from a measurement perspective? No, my, I don't think my perspective has changed that much. It's, I'd say some of the metrics have gotten like a little bit easier to track and get, but it's always hard to know if like, if the downloads, how many of those actually led to listens and were they listens of a piece of the episode or the entire thing? And like, were people, was it on in the background or were they like taking notes while they're listening to it? So it's the metrics that you get are, they're useful and they're interesting and they're interesting for maybe goal setting of, Hey, we want to get, you know, after we launch a show three months later, we want to get 5,000 downloads or listens or something like that. It's, it's good to have some sort of a benchmark, but 
it's really hard to say that like, oh, you know, for every five episodes that someone listens to, they have a 10% chance of buying our product and therefore I can attribute, you know, 42 cents of revenue to each podcast that we publish or something like that or whatever. It's just really, really hard to do that. And so I really think that it goes more into the investment behind your brand is the way you should think about it. And to me, in the brand investment, there's sort of like paid, earned, and owned media. So paid media is like, you know, you buy advertising somewhere to promote your brand. Earned media is, you know, you're able to beg or borrow or, you know, sort of beg your way into a publication because you got a, a, somebody in the media, an author or something, to want to write an article about you. And then owned media is this idea of creating your own channels. And it's super cheap to do that. And what's changed in the past 20 years is how cheap it is, but also how much distribution you can get. So along, you know, 25 years ago, you used to need to either just beg your way in with PR or you needed to, uh, you know, buy your way in through advertising. Mm -hmm. And that was the only, like, those are the only places that audiences existed. Now the audiences are on YouTube and in the iTunes podcast store and on Spotify and on the web and Google and all these things. And I'm retelling a mashup of two things, which is David Meerman Scott wrote this great book back in 2003 called the new rules of marketing and PR talks about that, you know, earned owned, you know, paid uh, division, how that's changed. And then mash that up with the story of inbound marketing and like the book called inbound marketing, which is like all this stuff as well. All that stuff is still true. Like where the audiences are shifts a little bit over time or whatever, but it is very low cost to build your own content today and you can actually build an audience for it. And the audience that you get is so much more highly engaged Mm -hmm. because they're paying attention to you. So again, it goes back to that HubSpot TV example of, you know, you became a dedicated fan of the company and, user of the product and paying customer over time. And that show did not cost us a lot of money. I mean, it was, it was two hours to three hours a week of time from Karen and I, we would take an hour to prep an hour to do the show an hour to kind of debrief and do some other stuff. We hired an intern to do it, but the total dollar investment in that was not that high. And while it wasn't, you know, millions of people listening to it, it was a big enough audience to make a difference. And if you want, the feeling of your CEO going to an industry event and people saying, Oh, Hey, like love your podcast. It's it's, it, that's not $2 million of investment. It's a smaller amount of investment. You just need to do the work. What takeaways do you have for people that either are already doing a show and thinking about how to make it better or what they should be, what should they be doing with it? Or those who have yet to start, what kind of takeaways would you leave them with? I think for both of them, the most important thing is to really narrowly define your purpose and goal. So launching a podcast is not a goal. That's like a tactic, right? I think you need to think about like, who is the audience that we want to attract? How do we want to engage them? How do we want them to feel after they listen to a few episodes? Do we want them to listen to a few episodes? Do we want them to listen to every single episode? And all that will feed into the style of show and what's on the show, how long it is, how frequently you publish, all those things. It's sort of like, you know, you just it's like before you go to write a book, you would, you know, is it fiction or nonfiction? <laughs> is it a long or short book? Like, who do you want to read it? What's it about? Like all these things, you need to figure all those things out. And it's the same thing with podcasting. And I do think that sometimes people start because they're like, oh, I heard all the, 
all the cool companies are doing podcasting. Let's launch a podcast. Mm -hmm. You're, you're not, you're not going to achieve what you want to achieve because you need to think about what you want to achieve, you know? Um, so I think both, even if you've already started, it's like, keep those goals really sort of narrowly in mind and what you're looking to accomplish with it and why, and are you looking for something that, you know, it's cyber reason, we never much cared about being the most popular podcast in the world. We wanted, you know, if we could get a third of the top 5,000 CIOs in the world to have listened to a few episodes, that was absolutely worth it to us, right? HubSpot was different because we were playing the mass market sort of selling to SMB game and we needed volume because each customer paid us so little. But then with the growth show, to be honest, we were happy with a little bit more modest goals in terms of listenership because we really wanted to make sure that content was confined to C-level topics. Yeah, that is the perfect kind of snapshot of like, there is no one size fits all. There is no one goal. There is no one metric. You have to know who it's for. You have to know why you're doing it and you have to understand kind of your mission and at least a a fuzzy idea of what success looks like for you, for your business, for your brand, for your show, for your audience, before you dive into it. Because otherwise you're just going to be frustrated by metrics that don't matter for your, you know, you're trying to do one size fits all. It just doesn't work. And if you have multiple goals, you may need multiple shows and Mm -hmm. that's okay. Like at HubSpot, you could easily envision a show for marketing managers that goes in the tactics and the details of like, oh, the 10 ways to optimize a webinar and like all sorts of things like that. And that C-level person is not going to want to listen to that. Mm -hmm. And then you can imagine a podcast for the C-level like the growth show, which is about how should you organize your executive team and like what should the roles and responsibilities be like? Not as maybe somewhat interesting as a, for a marketing manager, like aspirationally, because they want to become CMO someday, but not super interesting to them, right? For sure. Um, and so, and the length of those shows may be very different. The format could be different. You know, one could be more conversational interview style. One could be more narrative. Like there's all sorts of different things there. But as a company, maybe you need multiple shows. And that's probably a better way of doing it than trying to have one show that accomplishes every one of your goals. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. That's our show. Thanks for listening. For more from today's guest, visit casted.us to subscribe and to receive our show as it's published, along with other exclusive content each and every week.